You're listening to Radio Influence. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights. And a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. I'm your host, Tim Lloyd, joined by my co-host, as always, Justin Watson. And again, we are joined this week by Justin Fisher and Slick Nick Gertz. And uh, we're going to do the conclusion of our deep dive back into 3FC 17. Again, last week, uh, we, we did the first half of 3FC 17, and that went down way back in June of 2013 from the Smoky Mountain Convention Center in Scenic Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And um, in that the last edition, you can go back and, and check it out. I encourage you to, if you haven't already, you can go to the Valor Fights YouTube page and there is a playlist with these fights in the order that, that we are, uh, are doing our, our watch back on. So, of course, we went up through the amateur debut of Nick Gertz last time. And so that was kind of fun to watch. We also got to see the amateur debut of Demir Faratbegovich and some, some other cool names on there now this time we're going to dive into the top half of the card and we're going to get to see a young justin fisher in a pro fight as well as uh, some other recognizable names so uh if you haven't already get to the uh the valor fights youtube page that you will see a playlist for 3fc 17 we are beginning on the uh dustin dyer versus kim odie fight which is right around the halfway mark. We're going to get into some other conversation today as well. Uh, we've got the uh, UFC 249 is going to happen. That was just announced uh, for sure uh, with a new fight card and everything. We're going to kind of uh, get everyone's thoughts on that as well as some other uh, conversational topics uh, as we are still in quarantine here on this coronavirus uh, hiatus. It's got the world kind of shut down. So we're we're just trying to do some different things here to, you know, to pass the time. I mean, I, we thought it would be fun to uh, look back at the uh, MMA scene from uh, se- essentially seven years ago. A lot of familiar faces that we're going to see and some faces that are that we haven't seen in a long time. And we'll kind of get caught up on where those guys are now. So uh, we're going to give a little countdown here and um, we'll, we'll hit play on your uh, your watching device, whatever it may be. In three, two, and again, uh, volume down. We're if you, we're if you, we're going to mute the volume, and we're going to just kind of give our own commentary as you go as we go. It's not really a play by play, but more or less a uh, uh, a recollection, if you will. Uh, in three, two, one, and go. And I've got mine muted here, and we've uh, started out, guys, with uh, a heavyweight contest here, and uh, it's Dustin Dyer and Kim Odie. And uh, uh, Nick, uh, the, you know, you came up along on the scene at the same time as Dustin Dyer. Uh, a lot of his fight, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your fights were probably on the same cards with him. He was a guy that, you know, he was very unassuming, a big dude, but a very nice, but sweet man. And, uh, it, but, but he could crack. Yeah, I, uh, I never actually really got to, get to talk to him too much at the time. You know, we didn't train together or anything, so... Uh, you know, when you're at the event and back in the, in the back, you're just talking to your teammates and, you know, yeah, yeah. Them, so. 
Well, um, Dustin at the time was training with Nalo Lechuga at North Georgia High Stand, okay. and uh, he's fighting Kim Odie here, who is out of Alabama, uh, trained with, uh, I want to say he trained out of the same camp with like Eric Anders and, and uh, a lot of those guys, and both these guys ended up going pro. Uh, Kim Odie now four and five as a pro and Dustin Dyer. I think he retired at maybe one and two as a pro. He, he got really big in size there towards the end and was, uh, uh, you know, struggling to make way to 265. But, uh, you know, uh, Justin, you know, that you're a guy that came up, uh, Justin Watson, that is your guy that, uh, you know, fought lots of your fights on uh, the same cards as, as these guys. Yeah, for sure. Dustin was, it was crazy to see, you know, such a big guy, but he was, you know, pretty athletic and, um, you know, he was very talented and, and, and skilled in there. And, um, yeah, just one of the nicest people you could meet, you know, just running into him here and there uh, at the fights. He was always, you know, super, super uh, polite and respectful to everybody and um, just one of the nicest guys you could be around. We see here, this was uh, the, uh, the, in my opinion, one of the, the better eras of the uh, amateur heavyweight in our region. We had several good heavyweights coming up around this time. Donnie Lester and Stephen Flanagan. But these guys are throwing, man. These guys are, are throwing some leather in there right now. Uh, lots of good heavyweights kind of came out of that era. A little bit deeper class, it seems like, uh, as far as heavyweights go uh, several years ago. Would you agree, Justin Fisher? It seems like the, the heavyweight division was, was more deep uh, back in the day than it is now. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of started off in the region and everything. It kind of started off that way because it was a bunch of big dudes that wanted to go in and get in the ring kind of deal, like who's mm -hmm. the but before it really took off that way. And so you kind of saw that evolve into what you have here with Dyer and Odie and everything, guys that are actually trying and putting together and stuff. And then now it seems like the more athletic folks are not going to be in that weight class and everything unless they're right. special to be old or anything. So – People are kind of figuring out where it was. You know, whenever I walked in the sport, I thought I was a 205 or then I started training with those events. Hey, man, where, where do you, where, where should I shoot at? Light heavyweight? Okay, so I guess I need to drop a weight there. <laughs> so you're um, saying I'm in the wrong division. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of people found out, you know, what the division was all about in the heavyweight, you know, not just dudes coming in off the street. Now, you know, if a person's doing well in the heavyweight division, they are, you know, agile or a little bit more agile than what you see. Dyer and Noah are doing a pretty good job here, you know, about showing that as well. But it's just a different it was just a different caliber athlete than I think than in now. And I think, you know, the addition of what is now an official weight class, a cruiserweight 225, it, that, you know, a lot of guys can can get down to that weight class and not necessarily have to fight at 265 anymore. Like uh, like that used to be the case. <clears throat> I think eventually you'll see some heavyweights that are, you know, just these guys that, you know, play college football and stuff that aren't going to go pro, but are just these big super athletes, um, you know, that, you know, kind of like an event, but, but, but a bigger, bigger guys um, going into the sport. I think it's going to be fun to watch. We saw Dustin Dyer take round one pretty convincingly there, especially at the end, probably sealed the deal. And, man, he's giving Kim Odie all he wants. And, and it's really kind of impressive because, like, Kim Odie went on to be 
a pretty a pretty tough out. Uh, you know, he finished. Uh, he hasn't fought in about a year now, but and he's on a three five losing streak as a pro. But he's four and five as a pro with some pretty good wins, man. Um, you know, I, I want to say uh, he fought Frank Tate, big Frank Tate, on a Bellator card that I matched at Talladega, uh, and uh, he he also uh, had a had a uh, win over uh, a big Terrence Hodges, who we saw give Billy Swanson all that he wanted um, last time out in Saudi Daisy. So, uh, you know, Odie's uh, really evolved into uh, a pretty good fighter. These guys kind of went diverging paths after this. <clears throat> We're definitely getting after it right now. They've been after it this whole fight, so. Yeah, these guys have been they've been giving a good effort here, and uh, we're again at the three uh, FC seventeen event. This is from June of two thousand thirteen, nearly seven years ago, and it'll be interesting to see some of these uh, guys as we continue through this card. We've got seven more bouts that we're going to review here, and uh, you know some things that are going on in the uh, in the world. Of course, uh, the big news this week, guys, is the UFC two forty nine is ago there's been talk about it here for for weeks you know dana's you know said that uh he's going to make this happen by hook or by crook but there was a lot of speculation that that just wasn't going to be able to happen my personal opinion throughout this whole thing was he was going to be able to make it happen he's you know he was dead set on it and he already kind of got proven wrong having to cancel the shows that he had to cancel so i don't think he wanted to have egg on his face and not be able to pull this off. Uh, Justin Fisher, your thoughts on it, man. Like, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of the most reasonable guy amongst us here. I have to say, uh, but, uh, you know, is this, uh, is it too soon or is it, or is it much needed? In my opinion is it's much needed. I'm all in on it. <laughs> I mean, you're just talking about making the event happen overall. Cause I don't Yeah, know. I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like this event should, yeah, let's just make that a more pointed question. Should this event be happening in the middle of everything else being shut down? Uh, you know, obviously we know the UFC is going to go uh, to the utmost precautions for fighter safety here because they're going to be under a magnifying glass and any, any screw up here is going to be, uh, you know, obviously uh, blown up. Yeah, absolutely. So they're going to have to take all those precautions and everything. And Tim, do they have anything on like the? Is it just going to be the fighters and coaches there at the spot where they're doing it? Is that how they're? Yes, doing it? it is a closed location. Okay. Now the 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 word is now there has been no official announcement of where it is. Now the 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 word is that it's going to be at the Tachi Palace uh, Casino, which has been closed since I want to say March twentieth. Uh, you know they used to host events there at a smaller you know regional level promotion several years ago um so that is the word now that that said it could be that that's like a staging area and that's just maybe where they're keeping the fighters and then they bust them off to uh an undisclosed location so people don't find out where that is dana i saw an interview say that he there was some mma media that wanted to come and he was going to let them come but it will be closed to you know just the general public it'll just be officials uh fighters corners and production man so, like, just the circus that it is to put on the fights and everything, I would imagine at that level with all the production. And then, of course, you have these fighters that are going to be in close quarters with coaches who they may not have been with, that kind of thing. So, I don't know. I mean, it's – you want to see it. You want to see the events. And you want the fighters, especially, who's put the time and money into the training and everything to not have it canceled and lose out on, you know, their livelihood, really, on that part. So, you want to give them that. And then you just hope that after this is over with that everybody's really smart about it and whenever they head back home and, you know, winners don't go running around and doing stuff and, you know, losers don't go hug on everybody when they get there. I don't know. It's just one of those – 
it's man, that's sticky. That's super sticky because you want to say, you know, if it's bad for everybody, then it's bad for everybody. Right. But at the same time, it's like, man, we want to see this though. Like we we need some kind of distraction a little bit, you know, to lighten it up and just to see that the world's still going. We're just not able to be a part of it right now. I don't know. I think it would be good for like morale, you know, for people and everything to have finally have a live sports event, but. I can't wait to see the can of worms that gets opened after this while the other sports, you know, why they do it here and those other, you know, push back on that. So it's going to be fun to see what happens after this. You it seems that, like people are, it seems, Nick, I want to get your take on this. It seems like people are kind of split. You know, we're, we, a lot of our social media feeds are, are consumed with MMA people. Uh, you know, so I think that for the most part, you're going to see a lot of people that are excited about it, but I mean, there's still a pretty good contingency of people out there that think that this is a very greedy move on the end of the UFC. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, supposed to have freedom in this country, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can't disagree with that. It's certainly, you know, I'm, I'm on the train that, you know, I, I love it, man. I, I want to see it happen. To me, it's going to be something to take take uh, my mind off of all the bullshit and really just, uh, like Justin said, be a bit of a morale boost for, for the country, for the freaking world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a, as a fighter, you know, if the UFC called me right now and said, hey, do you want to fight on this event? I'd say absolutely. You know, like, no question about it, but that's my choice, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, so if they're if they're able to put the event on or whatever, he's I don't know the rumor about uh, him getting an island or something. Like you heard that? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into that. There, uh, you know, Dana has been. Uh, you know, these guys are throwing down to to finish this fight, man. Uh, it looks like Dustin Dyer is going to take this pretty decisively, but Odie pretty game the whole time just to. Just to make note there, uh, the uh, the the word is that they're going to Data White is going to secure a private island, and now that's not going to be for for this fight. It, I think it's still a little ways down the road, but uh, ideally he is going to host his international fighters on this private island, um, and then the domestic fighters I assume will continue to fight here at this place in Cal on this reservation in California, but. Um, Bringing it back here, we are rejoined by our, our guest host this week, Justin Fisher and Nick Gertz, as we watch 3FC17. Get everybody caught up on our, our time marker here. We are at 3 minutes and 51 seconds of the Matt Scott versus Nathan Lindsay fight here at 3FC17. And we're going to push play in 3, 2, 1, play. And uh, back to our conversation here. Uh, we'll get back to the private island conversation in just a moment. Uh, once again, here we're looking at Matt Scott versus Nathan Lindsay for the flyweight amateur championship. Both these guys coming from the Middle Tennessee area with Matt Scott representing uh, Upper Cumberland that we saw quite a bit last week. Nathan Lindsay with National MMA, Sean Hammond's Jiu Jitsu, Nick Gertz as a, uh, a BJJ aficionado. You're a guy that I'm sure has uh, noticed the uh, slick grappling uh, tendencies of uh, little Nathan uh, Lindsay. Yeah, I've seen him around, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's the show all the way till now. He's still, he's still competing and training and stuff, right? Now, Nathan is a guy that is, like you said, he's very unassuming. Not not the guy that you would assume is, uh, you know, uh, a, a pro fighter by any means. But uh, he can he can definitely uh, get it done in there. A tough guy. Uh, we've seen him uh, in the Valor Cage a few times. Saw him last time out in the Nashville show with a win over uh, Jeremy Rogers. 
And uh, going back to our conversation about the the private island. Now, the private island is going to be for international fights, according to Dana, and that's not quite ready yet. They're working on the, uh, I guess, as he called it, the quote, the infrastructure. I don't know if that means they're building a building or if they're going to build like an outside, you know, like ramp type or uh, something cool like from the action movies i doubt that but it'd be cool if the if it were like kind of like remember you guys remember the old bodog fights mm-hmm. uh they they would do that shit like on tropical locations like on islands and it was like beautiful out there really uh that that would be uh, definitely a cool thing and uh i'm curious if they end up bringing in any americans to fight on those cards if it'll just be strictly international fighters and they keep the americans um here in uh california California. Um, you guys, uh, of course, uh, Dana said that the uh, the secret location was going to be um, it's going to be the home of several weeks of UFC in a row. He said they're going to run for like two months every week. And, uh, you know, obviously one of you guys teammates at KMAA, Ovent St. Pru, was originally scheduled to fight um, April 25th in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it uh, looks like he's still going to be fighting on the same date, but now uh, being shuttled over to parts unknown uh, in, uh, in California, I guess. Uh, but he has an opponent change originally uh, scheduled to face Shamil Gazmatov. Uh, undefeated fighter, uh, one of many Russians that were scheduled to fight here that have been uh, uh, postponed. Um, and now he gets a new opponent and it's a more fun one. I think it's definitely one that it's, it's kind of more like, you know, intriguing because he's a guy that we just see, you know, we're more familiar with. And that's Ion uh, uh, Kudalabra, who uh, the Moldavian fighter who is, uh, man, he's quite a character. He's a guy that, uh, you know, a lot of the times he'll paint himself up green like the Hulk and run across the cage and uh, act a fool. You know, uh, he's a he's he's a wild one there. Uh, Justin Fisher, your thoughts on uh, on this one? You know, is is this a fight that you're, uh, you're a little more excited for with the opponent change or, or were you excited to get him to uh, get to see him fight the undefeated Russian more? Man, I don't I mean, just being as a uh, teammate, you know, and being little brother and everything for all the years. Anytime a Vince fights, I get excited. It doesn't really matter who the opponent is. I haven't stayed up on either one of those guys. Like, I pay attention to what Vince is doing most of the time, so I'm a horrible one to ask on this. Before. I hear you. Nick, are you familiar with these guys? Uh, no, not too much, actually, but uh, my, my thing with Justin, you know, I see I see the work that Vince put, is putting in, you know, so it doesn't matter who they put in front of him. He should you should handle business. Well, let me just say, go and watch some damn Ion Kudalabra fights. And I feel like you're going to get like more excited because you're like, if he tries this shit with Vince, like, what's he going to do? Like this guy is, I mean, he's, he's turned, he's turned all the way up. Justin Watson, you've seen, you've seen this guy. Yeah. I think in his last fight, uh, the commission kind of didn't get in there in time and he walked second. And when he got to his corner, he just kind of came straight across the cage. I can't remember who he was fighting. But um, it was a Russian guy. Yeah, it got all in his face, and um, the, the dude's just wild. He's you know he's gonna come out of events at weigh-ins and get off in his face, and his thing is you know he'll come screaming at you and stuff. But um, yeah, he's is, got, that, is that the guy? 
Is that the guy that screams in your face at the weigh-ins? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes he'll paint himself green from head to toe, uh, like the Hulk. Okay. And I mean, he gets right up in your shit, just, rawr, you know, and, and at the, in his last fight, he walked, he marched right across the cage past Bruce Buffer into his opponent's corner and stood nose to nose as they were announcing them. <laughs> So I mean, this is something. This is a different breed of guy. Now I'm not no, that saying. I think I think uh, Vince knocks him the fuck out. I think that this guy has a big uh, overhand right, you know, that can land and is it is dangerous. But he's not near the well-rounded fighter or athlete that Ovin St. Prue is. I, I think Vince comes into this as uh, as the favorite for sure. But uh, just uh, the character that this guy is is uh, it makes it exciting for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I'm gonna have to check him out some more. Now that, now that you said uh, about the shooting in the face at weigh-ins, I've definitely seen him before. Uh, and then, like, in just a few small clips or whatever of him. Yeah, and I, you know, and Vince is so chill and so laid back and so just. Yeah. You know, not not that. And so I'm just I'm just really gonna be uh, excited to see like how. He, if he just remains stoic or if he gives any kind of any kind of like aggression back, you know. And I hope he laughs like he normally laughs when we get all crazy. So like you just hear him in the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Vince is a very, like I said, a very laid back guy. Very, very much the opposite of this. As we look, uh, it looks like we're going into the third round here in this mascot Nathan Lindsay fight. And up next, uh, we are going to see the last of the amateur bouts that we have on this card. Tyler Hunley and Josh Carter. We saw uh, or we kind of mentioned Tyler Hunley last week uh, as a Kings MMA representative with Jacob Clemens and those guys. And uh, he was a very, very promising fighter that uh, would be, you know, it's uh, unfortunately he hasn't competed here recently. Uh, and these guys are throwing down, man, here in this uh, third round. We got jumping crazy kicks and, and all kinds of shit here. These guys are throwing. A bunch of spinning shit, the wild kicks going on. Yeah. They didn't have the UFC one where you grab each other by the back of the head and grapple throwing up cut the whole time there for a second. Like, yeah. They look like the old head. That's what the crowd likes. Yeah. It's what the people want. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, this is at the Great Smoky Mountain Convention Center in Pigeon Forge, a, a place that uh, that both of you guys have fought, or all three of you guys have fought several several times. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a place that I kind of miss sometimes, you know, I think it would be nostalgic to go back there and do like one more show there just because just for old time's sake, you know, yeah, man. like even the Krispy Kreme across the parking lot. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, dude, that's you've where, got the, you've got the Krispy Kreme immediate, you've got immediate gratification after you get out of the cave. Yeah. You go in there and win after you've been dieting and eating all the super clean food and everything like that. <laughs> You go beat somebody up and get you a win and then walk across the parking lot to that crispy gold of goodness. Oh my yeah. God. That was the best thing. <laughs> I got a cracker barrel too. Yeah, you go, go eat cracker barrel and then get some crispy cream. <laughs> And it looks like Matt Scott took uh, took the championship here. You see a uh, younger version of myself in there. That was another yeah. life. I'm yeah. a lot less, lot less white hair. <laughs> 
And let's move on to our la- uh, last um, of the amateur fights on this card before we get to see our own Justin Fisher in action next. I'm excited for that. We've got Tyler Hunley coming into this one against Josh Carter. It is Kings MMA against the Fit Factory. And uh, both these guys were pretty, uh, pretty two of the top uh, 135 amateurs um in our area at that time man and they were both pretty well-rounded uh you know both guys uh, in pretty good shape fairly good size for 135 and both guys ended up becoming pros um you know but but at the same time the similarities continue and uh you know neither guys competed now and in a good long while man josh carter it's been lord I'd, I'd say at least three or four years and then Hunley, i'd say it's been about two years give or take but uh i think those guys have gone on to other careers it'll be exciting to uh to kind of relive this one because like, again both these guys at the time were kind of you know the class of the of the amateur bantamweights yeah for sure uh i, I think life just gets all the people sometimes you know you have kids and stuff and yep other jobs other things and I mean, uh, everybody knows that fighters starting out, you don't get paid shit, so... Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, you got to imagine these guys that are getting up towards the upper end of their of their amateur career. They're fighting guys that are most likely going to be tougher than the entry level professionals that they would fight. So you still got the the expenses, you know, that go into preparing for a tough legitimate opponent whoa as uh, tyler just drops carter on his ass there uh you still got the expenses of training uh for a, a an upper tier opponent that you've got to put in the proper work in as you're getting ready to make the leap to pro you know you're it, but you don't have the income of a pro fighter you may get some some sponsorships here or there guys but i can't imagine uh most amateurs are just have that going for them at this point still as far as being able to rely on you know sponsor money to to get by so when you have a a family startup and you have a kid and you've got to start paying the bills and working 40 plus hours a week it makes it tough to continue this dream i imagine it does i'm sure i uh, i definitely that's not for me. <laughs> 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 right. Now, neither one of you guys, uh, yeah, Justin uh, Fisher or uh, Nick Gertz, you, neither of you guys have have wee ones, have children. So you haven't had, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, you know, extra extra hurdle as far as your, your careers go in MMA. Yeah. Absolutely. Josh Carter yeah. trying to muscle him down, finally gets, finally gets it done. And uh, it would go ahead. I'm sorry. This is back in the day when uh, Hunley was still with uh, Overdrive. Before that. Yes. Yes, you're right. You're right. I said Kings MMA. You're right. This was actually when he was with Shane Hill's Overdrive. He had a he had a little uh, little crew over there that was that was on the come up, man. You know, uh, Overdrive had had some pretty good athletes at one time. Uh, you know, a decent a decent sized stable of uh, of of amateur fighters. Anyway. They're all very tough kids, for sure. And a, and a lot of those guys ended up going over to uh, to Kings uh, MMA um, uh, with uh, Ed uh, McDonald, Jeremy Beal. Um, and we haven't seen those guys in a while, man. It seems like it's been a good while. I think the, the last time we saw anybody from there was uh, Tevin, uh, Tevin Brown. He fought, uh, man, that's been damn near a year ago, I'd say, uh, since the last time we saw Tevin. And it looks like uh, we've got Tyler Hunley with Josh Carter 
uh, on top working a guillotine here is these guys. I don't recall if this is a title fight or not, but I feel like it probably was, especially with it being the amateur main event. Up next, we're going to get to see Justin Fisher in uh, early in his pro career. Now, uh, he's going to be facing Kevin Hill here uh, in, in just a little bit. We're probably about, uh, I guess, about seven minutes away from that. But So let's let's set the stage a little bit, guys, while we wait on that one. Justin, you were only 1-0 and at this point in your career facing Kevin Hill. Now, Kevin Hill um, was making his pro debut, and he was out of the old Team KO, or it might have been Team TKO, one of the two. And a teammate of Anthony Lemon. Now, you was this fight before or after you fought Anthony Lemon? I feel like it was maybe it was it was it had to have been before. before yeah, this was definitely before Anthony because about the time I fought Kevin's, whenever Anthony got his shot of the Bellator stuff and all that jazz. So and now they were and, now, Anthony, and Anthony was one of Kevin's or or I guess I should say Kevin was probably one of Anthony's main training partners uh, uh, at this time. So, uh, you know, this is kind of a precursor, I guess, to that fight. Kevin trained by uh, old Ed Nutt. Ed Nutt was a character, man. I haven't, haven't seen him on the scene in a while. Like big old bushy cop stash and uh, like tight, tight, tight curly hair and smoke cigarettes and uh, just kind of a just kind of a uh, old school tough guy, uh, you know. And Kevin Hill uh, came into this one with a pretty decent amateur pedigree. He hadn't really fought a lot for us as an amateur, but he'd fought and maybe won some titles on you know the Middle Tennessee circuit. So kind of set the table for this one, Justin. You were coming in at only one and oh as a pro so you were still just in the early stages of uh of making that transition yeah one and oh and like i got my first fight out of the way in georgia as a pro and it was really you know just a surreal experience and stuff because i had to travel into foreign land and you know kind of deal driving into somebody else's turf and then being the guy that's supposed to lose on the co-main event or whatever and then i won it and so that was awesome that felt really right. good but it was also the first time i'd went the distance in a fight like, the, I spent more time in that first fight, you know, 15 minutes long or whatever, than I did in all my amateur, all eight of my amateur fights combined. Like, and after I figured out stuff, like, okay. So, you know, I got to train on that. And I think, I want to say, like, I can't remember if this is the time that I rolled my ankle and this is my first fight back after a while or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, this is my first, like, I didn't fight during that school year. And then this fight was coming up in the summer. And I was like, just, I just remember being super psyched. It's like, I get to go back. I get to do this again. You know, <laughs> crazy about it. And then I remember, like, I got to find, I found, I think, two of Kevin's fights online. And so I went and watched to see what he was doing in each one of his fights that he won and that kind of stuff, you know, and he's doing this thing. And I found, like, two fights that are really definite. And then one was just a weird start. So it was off, something like that. But in the two fights, he came out and he threw, like, the same combo, like a jab cross, and he threw a little kick. And after everybody sees stuff, generally, you know, young fighters listen up. Whenever somebody throws something, a lot of people want to mirror. So if I kick you, if I want you to kick, I'm more than likely going to throw a little kick at you because something about your mind says, I can kick you harder than you kick me. And, like, I just saw him do that jab cross kick, and then people would just charge him or he would, like, people would engage him or whatever, but he wanted to come out and be aggressive. And so I kind of just chilled and, uh, you know, thought, okay, I'm just going to let – what happens after jab cross kick? Like, me. <laughs> Nobody's let him do that yet. And I was like, I wonder. And so, like, that was just the game plan. Before I go in, I was like, all right, he's going to throw Jack off kick. And I know Eric wants me to do something, but I'm going to try this just real quick because I don't think he's got anything after that. Right. And it was really, it was really neat. It was just really cool. Like, being able to study and 
see things pay off and everything. That was the first fight that I'd actually been able to watch, see somebody's, you know, footage and everything, and then realize, you know, there was a pattern and seeing that kind of stuff. So it was a big step for me as far as growth, you know, becoming into the press and everything. It looks like looking at your topology here that with this being in June of 2013, the fight for your pro debut was October of 2010. So, yeah, it would have been about two and a half years in between. So that would have explained, uh, you know, an injury. Yeah, so I rolled my ankle a little bad or something, I think. And the bad part was, like, during the school year, uh, previously, I got a little bit heavy and stuff, and I was walking around like 220, which, you know, don't look bad, but it ain't good if you're trying to fight 185. And so I go in, I remember going and playing basketball, like just getting a warm-up, you know, just to get my heart going and stuff again, playing hard. And the first day back, I'm going to go play 10 minutes of basketball with these guys, and then I'm going to do my regimen, and I'm going to go home and chill, and this is going to be a new summer, and I play basketball, 10 minutes, you know, five minutes in, rolled my ankle, I thought I broke it and everything else. So that shut me down that whole summer and I couldn't fight and, you know, it was just real bad. And so once we got all that, re- you know, nursed back to health and stuff, I was able to get back in the ring and see or Kevin or whatever. But yeah, that was, that was one of my more painful and worrisome injuries, man. Like when you sprain something poorly and badly, uh, it takes a lot longer to heal than, you know, broken bones and stuff. I had to learn that the hard way. Now, uh, it looks like this fight will be the beginning of a nice little active run for you uh, as you, you get to fight here in June of 2013, followed it up with a win over Stryker Huffman three months later in September, and then another win over Steve Bell just two months later in November. So this uh, representing one of the more active periods in your career, you're able to knock off three fights in uh, the span of about five months. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a very fortunate time for me, like, because a lot of times, like, you know, Nick right now, is, you know, was peaking and stuff, and then this happens, and he can't fight and that kind of thing, or you'll be doing something, you know, like, that happens a lot in the sport. Like, you'll be ready, and you'll be, like, you'll wait for a fight and wait for a fight and wait for a fight. So I feel for all the fighters that, you know, losing out on fights during this coronavirus stuff, especially because you wait, 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 everything's lining up, and then something happens. And you know, the fall, the fight falls through, or you can't find an opponent, an opponent, or something like that. And so, I was just very fortunate at that point in time that you know, God allowed them to open up those doors for how to get, you know. And not only that, like I think there were three wins too. So, I mean, it was three very successful performances, and it built a lot of confidence. It showed that you know I had talent and everything coming up, and it, you know. It put a lot of wind in the sails for what was about to happen and stuff, especially at our gym. I mean, it was neat to see during that point in time, watch our gym grow with all the fighters because of successes like myself and others going through there. So, I mean, it opened up a lot of doors for us at Game Day. As it looks like we're about to get the decision here on this uh, Tyler Hundley and Josh Carter fight before we get to see Justin Fisher in action himself. There I am again with that belt. Um, and it looks like, um, if I can't, I can't recall who gets this one. I feel like Tyler Hunley gets this. If I, if I can recall. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Man, Tyler, like, you know, being that time when you're in the middle of your own stuff, like just looking back on it, Tyler was really polished, like in hard times inside of that fight. He kept his head in the pocket. Yeah. Moving off the line barely and everything. He was super polished for an amateur. And then, you know, dude was giving Hunley all he could handle, too, on the ground, like he was pressuring, that kind of stuff. And Hunley just weathered that storm of that fight really, really well. So, I mean, that was a, that was a really impressive amateur performance from him. And surprised we, didn't, we haven't seen any more out of him. You know, he had an opportunity, he had the ability. So, 
Project. Yeah, definitely one of those guys that that kind of uh, you know had a, a, a lot of expectations uh, going into his pro career, and uh, I believe he's had may, at least one kid, maybe maybe more than one kid, to tell you the truth. So started the family, and here we go. We're on to uh, our first pro fight. It's Kevin Hill, the Punisher, taking on our own Justin Fisher here, a young one and oh Justin Fisher, uh, as he began uh, what would become a, a five fight win streak on his uh on his pro career and uh kevin hill making his pro debut here and uh justin kind of set the stage for us here uh you are uh just a little bit ago you you know kind of set us up to get to where we are now you are the last of what i believe what did we have so far three kma fighters on this card i guess Nick, we had we saw nick and alan stewart i think were the other two we saw yeah. So, hey, uh, I remember thinking about Kevin being taller than me and stuff. I'm like, gosh, he's really tall. Now looking back, he ain't that much taller than me. Justin, get your head up. I don't know. That's yeah, I was about crazy. to. Say, I was about to ask, what did you think that whenever you sized him up? Did you feel like this is about about close to even? I mean, yeah. Like the, what I was worried about was his height and his reach coming in, and then like nobody had let him like do his little combo here you're about to see. He's gonna throw like a jab cross and go throw a kick, and then everybody else rushed him or whatever. What? There's a kick. There's a trip jack cross. There's your other kick. And All right. Come right. It's like, and whoa, like, this guy's actually kind of composed. Right there. That's whenever I knew it. Like when he stopped throwing and he just kind of put his feet down, I was like, okay, there it is. And then nobody had like given him space. Nobody had pressured him. They are like that. They had all went around the middle of it and just got into a brawl with him that I saw on tape. And so when we got to this point, it was like, this kid's never been put on the ground like this. I'm going to put him on the ground, but my coach is in the other corner here. So, you know, got to take him home. Got to bring him back. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, it was a good point, though. I'd say this was the first time he'd fought someone that was actually composed and that just didn't get into a complete, you know, bull rush. Yeah, I mean, and that's the part about the fight. And whenever you come in, I think that's what meaningful amateur careers help you a lot with inside of by the time you get to be a pro. Like during my first pro fight, I was nervous because now I have the label pro. And then in that fight, I found out that I'm going to have to fight, you know, three, five minute rounds now. And then I can do that and everything. Like once you get put in a hard spot in any place, you know, that helps you think about it. The only difference in your pros and amateur stuff is the amount of time and then the money that's riding on it. Like both times you're going in there to tear somebody's head off and you know, that kind of stuff It's just, I think that's where meaningful amateur careers, where you have a lot of experience, that you fight a lot of people, and, you know, do that. I think that helps be more polished. On top of, I think our camp was better than his, just being real honest about it. Like, seeing the guys that came out, I've got a hold of their best guy from this camp, too. Um, when you talk about Anthony Lemon, like, he went on to Bellator or doing stuff right now, and then I get a hold of him later. And then, like, just being in our camp and stuff, I remember Coach telling me, you beat everybody up. I'm like, okay, so, well, the UFC needs to know that, you know, you can sub somebody, too. I'm like, all right. He's like, so, get a submission win. And I remember <laughs> jumping on him and beating him and starting to wear him out. And then Eric telling him, stop hitting him. You got to get a sub. I mean, that's the, I don't know, that's the caliber, I guess, the difference in everything, the fighting and then the amateur career and the training they received and stuff. But, I mean, that's just where you see gyms live and die. Like, AMA's still around. We talked about a lot of these gyms not being there anymore. And I think this is where you're kind of, people got a glimmer of what kind of finished products who come out of good gyms that we're looking for and doing the right thing to take care of their fighters, making sure they're ready there. So 
I mean, yeah, the, I feel like that, that it's so much, so much more polished here as far as just, you know, and Kevin, you can tell as a, is a, it's a tough guy. I mean, he's he's game as can be here. He just doesn't have the 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 skill base to to do what he's supposed to do here. Nick, would you would you agree? But yeah. but very game again. I mean, he's he's, he's scrambling. He's you know he's still he's still he's not rolling over. Yeah, he's definitely a tough dude. And I've got to be high on my hips. I got to stay up off of him on my hip shots there because every time I sat down, he's one of the fighters. I will give him this. He never had dead legs. Like whenever you see this, and I face a lot when we're doing our broadcasting everything about fighting if you're watching this dude's feet like he never really until the end here whenever he just gives up that's whenever yeah. he had dead legs every other time his feet were working the cage yeah. they're working the mat everything so he can't even like he's probably game and stuff but fighters please remember that if you're listening in thinking about it and stuff go and watch this dude's feet until at the very end when he gives up i'm dropping elbows on his head like he's running feet the whole time trying to get away still trying to you know pivot bridge and that kind of thing. So I think that's one thing that people forget a lot about whenever they're in these positions. Man, and uh, it looks like it. old Jimmy Neely's letting him take a bit of a beating. That's what I was just saying, man. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy man, he, he likes to he likes to watch a good fight. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Jimmy, uh, I give him that. But like, I was getting a lot of arm and stuff. And Jimmy's very good about, I was telling him this, like the, Whenever you stop blocking shots, if you're still blocking, he'll give you the benefit of that. You're going to get like four or five more shots than you normally would, you know, before each two is going to take a five back because he wants to make sure you're protecting yourself. But the minute you eat two or three shots in a row, he'll, he'll call it in. Like, I remember that much about it. Jimmy, Jimmy's definitely a great ref. Yeah, for sure. One of my favorites. But, but he'll he, let you eat a few. He does like to watch a fight. <laughs> oh, he'll let you get your ass whipped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, really, really, really. <laughs> you know, well, it's, you know, this is a pro fight. You know, there's money involved here, and so uh, I guess he wants to give everybody a fair shot to to make sure it's uh, it's done. I remember finding Adam Hyde, uh, uh, the commentators. I think it was like Adam Townsend and some other people. They they were all yelling, "Stop the fight! Stop the fight!" And just, no. just Man, that was a that was a bloodbath, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, I yeah, we need to figure out which one that was. Maybe we'll do that one one day. That would that would be a fun one, man. Oh, Adam Hyde, he was a, he was a game motherfucker, man. Uh, he, he was a guy that uh, you know he he never quite won the big one uh, or got past you know the whenever he tried to take that big step up. But like he was always in in pretty exciting fights at the very least. For sure, for sure. Justin Fisher, a little little pep in his step, a little swag, a little, a little of that young buck swagger there. I see. Man, I was straight foolish. That's what I was. I'm sitting here looking at me. <laughs> I can even remember seeing. I can remember. I don't know what song it was, but I can remember being Eric's face and everything after that. And I was like, did I really just dance my coach off in the middle of the dog over ring up there? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Justin Fisher moved to 2 and 0 here. Huh? I said, Justin Fisher, you moved to 2 and 0 here. And uh, oh, yeah. man, that was uh, a pretty dominant performance there over uh, a tough Kevin Hill before you go on to to face striker Huffman in the next one, man. So definitely a, a nice little throwback here. So we move on to our, our feature bout. We get another throwback here, guys. Here's another couple guys. Now we've got Devin Plazons. This is a guy that he's one of your old school dudes. He's 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 from like generation one. Um, you know, he's he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a skilled guy that is still has some brawl tendencies, if you will, representing North Knox, Ishinru, Team Hard Knox, a team that we really don't see much of anymore, um, taking on Wesley Sullivan. Now, Wesley Sullivan's a teammate of Anthony Lemon 
and Kevin Hill. And he's like a little, he's like a little juggernaut. He's like five foot seven and like roided to the gills and like super strong, but not a lot of gas here. Uh, is Justin, is that a guy that you never crossed paths with uh, Wesley Sullivan? I don't think it's a little surprising that you didn't. Yeah, I never got a hold of Wesley. Now, at the very end of my career there, like whenever I was, like after Sid's fight and stuff, I had to go back to the street. But I was going to be able to put in the camp because I wasn't able to put in a good camp because of his back injury and stuff. And they said, well, if you want him, in six weeks you can have Wesley Sullivan and stuff. So let me figure this out. Man, I went back to the gym and I was working and just trying to get through stuff. And I got to where I just couldn't walk that weekend. I was like, guys, I can't do this. So. Like, that would have been the only chance that I know of that I would have had to get a hold of him. But he got he just got in there a little bit too late for me on back aim out and everything. So That's one of those. It's yeah, like yeah. it's surprising to me because you guys were both just around at that same time. And so it was uh, one of those fights that you would have thought that we would have seen eventually there. Yeah. We and got a uh, quick takedown there yeah, on Devin Plaisance. Now, you guys remember Devin Plaisance at all? You got, you know, he was uh, from a rival gym there, North Knox Ishinru, Hard Knox. Uh, not really uh, a whole lot, like I said, out of those guys, but uh, as of late. But uh, you know, Devin was a, one of those pioneer ties, man. He was on all the absolute cage fights. He's a, he, you know, he, I want to say maybe got purple belt or so in BJJ. Yeah, man. I'm trying to get yeah, being able to train with those guys. Uh, Devin was like, he was crazy long. That like, he was a tall, long dude anyway. But when you got on the match with him, was he not? Just, did you ever get a chance to row, or row with him? No, I never did. I know he's, I know oh, he's man. super long. I know exactly what you're talking about. Gosh, man, he would just wrap you up and just catch you and all kinds of stuff. And like, is rolling. Uh, I don't know, anybody ever gets a chance to roll Isaac Fine? Isaac Fine's a massive and a much more polished version of. Uh, Devin, but that's what it reminds me of just the length. You can't get away from it. The only break you got with Devin was, you know, like he wasn't as heavy. He wasn't in the heavier weight classes, but he was fun to roll with, man. I mean, he was always had something up his sleeve. And that's, like I said, the added length and stuff, that's really uh, what helped him out a lot in that ground game and been able to do that. He utilized that to his very best ability and everything there. So, tell you yeah. what, I Devin's one of those guys. Hey, yes, I was about to say, Devin's one of those just very pleasant guys, very cool dude. And honestly, and I said this about this, uh, about Devin many a time, you know, he's a guy that if he if he's not dialed in, then he, he's very beatable. But if Devin comes at, and if Devin performs, Devin can beat a lot of people, man. Like he 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 has some pretty good upsets in his career. And uh, here's a little side note. Look, there's Shane Machete. You guys remember Shane Machete? There's another another old school name in the corner of Devin plays. That's another guy, Justin. That I'm a little surprised that you never crossed paths with Shane Machete. Of course, he's from he's from is he from your neck of the woods? Yeah, he was, man. There's a reason behind that. Oh man. So I started off in a little gym called Kiko's Martial Arts. Okay, it was in. It was in Kingston. You know, Peter Kiko has got a karate school down there. It's a great school for anybody from that area. Uh, he does a lot of different things in the gym, not just karate stuff. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun. But he had his little MMA program going on. It was me and one other guy. Well, the only other MMA program around there was uh, Steve Robinette, Brawler yes. University. Tim, there you go. That's where he was from. So, Shane was in there before it was Brawler University or whatever, and he was training with Shane Perrine and Chad Perrine, who we saw a lot and stuff. And so, we end up on the different shows and everything. The last – the I think we talked about it last time. Tennessee held a tournament, and the I fought on that last tournament edition style that you could have legally where you could fight more than one time in a day. Yeah. And I won my first fight whenever I knocked dude out. 
the guy that bowed out of that fight was training with Brawler University, but because I was at that time from a local gym, a Kingston gym, he didn't want one of his guys losing to me at the time. He didn't want to put that gym versus gym mentality in there because if I win and I would have won, then my gym looks better than his gym kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it was a business decision from his coach, not necessarily from them, but it was a a business decision from his coach and everything that they wouldn't do. And then I moved on to Knoxville and Shane moved on to somewhere else, I guess. And I think he was about the time I was ramping up was whenever he was really coming down though, because uh, did he do anything after he got uh, into the XFC and everything there much? I never uh, heard of him. I, wanna, I feel like he came back and maybe did one more fight, uh, but yeah. Shane was he was always he was always dealing with injuries, and he's a guy that has uh, you know from a promoter's perspective, you want to have Shane Machete on cards because he has very 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 solid drawing power. He he, he sells a lot of tickets. He's got a lot of people that want to see him come out and fight. But if Shane ain't feeling a hundred percent, you know Shane is you know he doesn't he's not going to put he's usually not going to want to go out there if he doesn't feel real good and he's got and he has a very successful construction business and he's not the kind of guy that like needs this so much you know uh so it, it was it was always he was like the the unicorn that you're always trying to rope you know like ah can we get shame and shetty on this card and uh it was always hard to work out you know but it was super good dude one of one of uh one of my favorites from that old school uh crew man he was uh he was always exciting to watch when he when he would fight because he would go out there and, and throw Oh yeah, he, he was definitely a brawler. He wasn't afraid to throw. He'd get in there and really crank out those hits and stuff too. But you got another guy in here that's pretty strong in the math on top right now, Craig. Boy, that's right. That's it. right. Co-main event here, guys. This is Craig Johnson, a young. Uh, well, I don't even know how young he was at this point, but young, young in his career. Uh, Craig Johnson, <laughs> who who was uh, facing a, a Mario Scott from out at Joey Brazel's team. Uh, his teammate knocked out Reed Tate earlier in our. First uh, part of this, but Craig, you know, top-notch wrestling, um, you know, and uh, very heavy ground and pound. If he if he got uh, on top of you, it's gonna, you know, you're usually gonna feel it. But uh, you know, it, just like I said, very good wrestling, uh, but never quite evolved the rest of his game to catch up once he hit that top level. Looking for a rear naked choke here on Mario Scott, and I don't think he's going to get it because this video still got a little bit of time, just so everybody knows where we're at. We're at 329-30-31, and uh, a rear naked choke, very close it looks like here anyway, but uh, let's talk a bit about Craig Johnson. Yeah, like we were saying, he's a guy that, um, you know, he uh, was a hot amateur prospect, uh, a decorated uh, local wrestler here from Seymour, where where I live, my little boy goes to school. So if Seymour wrestling around here, Craig Johnson is uh, royalty, you know, and went on to wrestle at Carson Newman. And um, I believe he got, man, I can't exactly, I'm going to look it up here um, while we talk about it. But uh, I want to say he may got up to about four and oh, or five and oh, maybe uh, as a pro before he, before he finally got beat. Uh, And and when he started really kind of taking those, uh, those, uh, those steps up, in uh, competition against guys that were more well-rounded that could really, you know, kind of put it all together a little bit more where the wrestling wasn't able to just, you know, over, over, overpower everything. He started running into some trouble there, but yeah, he started, he got to four. No, it looks like at this point versus Mario Scott, he was three and oh, and was about to face uh, Joe Elmore and take his first loss. 
couple months later, but, uh, uh, Justin Watson, you, you grew up here in, uh, Seymour, Sevierville area. Uh, Craig Johnson was a guy that, you know, um, locally here anyway, you know, he was, uh, you know, when it came to wrestling then you knew Craig Johnson. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I spent some time with him at Fit Factory too, you know, training out there for a while, um, just before he went pro and, um, the guy's just, you know, just a workhorse and, and just relentless and, um, very coachable, you know, and, you know, him and Gene just had a, had a real good thing going there for a while and uh, a good coach student relationship. And, um, you know, it works to, to some degree of success for, for, uh, Craig, but, um, you know, eventually, like I say, just, um, getting up to that bigger stage, you know, the top competition, he kind of just was, was win, loss, win, loss. Um, but, you know, always game, man, just just, uh, just a grinder. His nickname was uh, Relentless, and, um, you know, that's, that's absolutely what he was. Craig was, uh, you know, a little bit longer in the tooth than most of your uh, fighters, you know, at this time. I think he was already, you know, in, in his mid-30s, uh, you know, so got a little bit of a later start, uh, you know, so he, he always wanted to kind of stick to – to that base, that wrestling, uh, which was, which was really good. Um, but again, uh, just, you know, when he ran into the guys that could, that could really strike and could fend off the takedowns, uh, just didn't have enough other, enough, enough other tools to, uh, to get it done. Uh, any, uh, any, uh, thoughts on Craig Johnson, gentlemen? Just strong, like that strong tough dude. You could really tell he had that wrestling pedigree the way he was able to work. He was super humble too. That's what I like about Craig outside the ring. Like whenever you went to talk to him and everything, just family guy, just very, very chill. Win, lose, or draw, very, very chill. And he was always, you know, like more of a soft spoken dude in my, you know, talking to him and stuff. Like he was never a personality, you know, in the locker room and stuff. He's always very, very focused. Yeah. You can see right here, just like, you know, shooting after him. He's a lot like whenever he was in the locker room, it's a lot like he is right now. Like whenever he gets locked on one of those legs and he's going to go for a takedown and change that angle, and boom, there it is again. He's going to shoot. He's back up. He's after it again. Like he's back there doing his reps and focused and everything. Never really was a whole lot of flash. He just wanted to go out and beat, you know, win and win and win. He's real fun to be He's real fun and real calming to be around the corner. And we're coming up on the final fight of this uh, this event and our episode, uh, which will be a main event of Dustin Diablo Walden and Kenny Thompson. Uh, Diablo, another guy that uh, coming up in this era of, of time, uh, he had the D-Evil team up in Johnson City that uh, produced, uh, you know, some some solid talent like Adam Townsend and um, the various athletes that came up through that uh, that that uh, Tri-Cities um, neck of the woods. And so uh, it'll be a, a, an interesting main event against Kenny Thompson up next. Uh, a couple of items I wanted to get to, guys, before we we uh, close out here with this last fight. Did you guys hear about uh, UFC fighter Anthony Smith? He had an intruder. Somebody broke into his house and he had to fight him. And, um, and I guess he ended up, you know, at least, you know, winning at, uh, to the point where the cops came and took the guys away. But, uh, you know, it's a very fortunate that this situation didn't turn out uh, much more tragic. You know, if either person had a firearm involved, Would you, did you guys hear about that? Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, I did hear about that a little I did hear about that. It's uh, that's crazy, man. I mean, that's the world we live in, though. Absolutely. So, stay strapped and get clapped. You know what I'm saying? 
Right. You know, if you break into to many, you know, that that particular, you know, Nick Gertz uh, provider, if you break into his home, then this ends a lot more messy, I'm sure. You know, and it really is. Uh, it, it's something it's something that is uh, it's kind of sobering to think about, though, really. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I guess hunger and greed and just wanting toilet paper, wanting toilet paper, man. Yeah, right. People to crazy, crazy extreme. <laughs> I was break into that making room. Yeah, I mean, you got to imagine when, whenever that you figure out that's who you're you've drawn for the for your uh, Russian roulette, and that's uh, no bueno. It's like breaking into Mike Tyson's home, yeah, and then turn the corner and see Mike Tyson. Hell out of me. Now you know. Uh, now Justin uh, Watson, you had a you had heard a little different take on this. Uh, uh, maybe drugs involved or, or something like that. Because according to Justin Watson, he said he'd heard uh, that may, that the guy was maybe so incoherent that that he thought that he was at home and that and that Anthony Johnson was like an intruder upon him. Justin, maybe you would elaborate. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just listened to the interview and um, he said, you know that. He basically woke up at like 4 a.m. Um, and this guy's in his, you know, in the hallway screaming. So he tells his wife to get the girls and lock them in the room. And he went out and said the guy kind of like flexed at him and, you know, screamed and started coming his way. And uh, Anthony Smith said, I just, you know, plowed through him and just started going at him. And I uh, said the guy was like 160, 170 pounds. Anthony Smith's in camp right now to fight Glover to share. You know, he's probably. 220, um, you know, and, and in pretty good shape at this point. And, uh, but he said that for a, a good five or six minutes before the cops got there, that this guy just ate every knee, elbow, you know, punch that he had um, and just kept trying to fight back. He obviously he didn't do any damage to Anthony Smith or anything like that, but um, he just said he, he just couldn't get him out of there. And, uh, but I, I don't know, this, the way that he described the way that the guy acted kind of made it seem like. Uh, he may be a little messed up, uh, being that that resilient, you know, over a guy who, uh, you know, has put away some some bad motherfuckers, and uh, he's got that big of a size advantage over you, and and you know, you keep fighting through all that. Um, but some of the things the guy, you know, afterwards the guy was sitting there, blood all over the place, and just kind of looked at Anthony Smith and said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry." <laughs> like just like that's it. Like I, I don't know, but um, I don't know. I guess he he had walked into another house in the neighborhood and, and had broken into some cars and uh but didn't take anything so it was like you know he had some some uh history of mental dis- disorders and stuff so i don't know if it was a drug thing or what but um i couldn't imagine man and i have a little girl and waking up i mean i don't know at one point anthony smith had a knife and i don't know how I, you know that that guy would have would have stayed i don't know how i would have controlled myself and not taken that guy's life in that situation just just out of just out of sheer terror you know like i don't know if he's if if i let him go if he's gonna shoot me and then go get my kid or if someone else is in the house i mean i think as soon as that knife hit my hand i wouldn't be able to stop myself from from stopping that right there um so it's crazy that that he was able to to with, with strength doing that and nobody got too too bad hurt, I guess. I mean, the guy's the guy's definitely feeling it right now. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 
into our main event here is Dustin Diablo Walden, six and three at this point in time, taking on Kenny Thompson, one and oh, a uh, Muay Thai fighter out of Middle Tennessee is Kenny Thompson, tall, athletic uh, guy, uh, Dustin Walden, also, uh, uh, you know, he will ride a guy, I think, a purple belt at this time, maybe brown belt at this time, head coach, uh, and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, another guy that kind of is from that uh, initial. Uh, a group of uh, you know pioneers of MMA of the time. Nick, you're you're a guy that you're familiar with Dustin Walden. Is that a guy that you're surprised that you didn't uh, ever cross paths with over the years? Uh, I mean, we we hung out and stuff, you know, outside of outside of fight, you know, at events and stuff. We were always real friendly, and uh, so, uh, you know, he's, he made uh, Adam Townsend and uh, Jonathan Pierce, and uh, I think he was just he was just out of the game. I guess by the time I had um, gotten your record up to where it was comparable. Yeah, yeah, I think he was uh, he was retiring out by then, and, uh, getting ready to do other things and just coach. And, but uh, Dustin is uh, Oh Diablo is one of the he's one of the he's a, one of the good guys, man. He's he's a guy that uh, I always enjoyed being around. Just always a great attitude, uh, good personality, and just uh, you know uh, always uh, put on an exciting fight. Yeah, man, he's a cool cat. It's like he's uh, trying to wrap up a submission here with uh, Kenny Thompson, and uh, he'll certainly have the advantage on the ground here, I would imagine. Dustin ended up, uh, you see, a six and three at this point. Let's see where he ended up when it was all said and done. I want to say you were talking about that. I was kind of thinking this was at the point where where Dustin was already kind of retired. I mean, it, it had been a minute since he fought at this point, I think, and then. He may have had another fight or two, but it was he was pretty much stepping away, and, and Nick was making his amateur debut at this time, so it's pretty wild to, to think about. Yeah, I guess you're right. This is already him kind of coming back, yeah. if you will. Yeah, this, was, this was his post-retirement comeback. Um, I think this was the first fight. You know, and I think he may have had one more. Uh, looks like he goes to eight and three with this one, and then he gets one more win uh, over Latrell Purdue, um, and then uh, it's a no contest with Dalton Fox after that, and then he lost to Stephen New uh, in the last timeout uh, when he made one last comeback in uh, 2015. So it's been uh, a good minute. Uh, and I remember at the time that was an upset when Stephen New uh, beat Dustin Walden. I thought that was uh, a lot of people take the Walden as the favorite. Yeah, I think he beat him by a triangle. A triangle. I, I think that you know the, the people might have been thinking that that uh, Dustin was going to have the upper hand just because of the experience and stuff. But uh, I think Stephen New would have taken out anybody at that camp um, in that division at the time. I think he was super underrated, especially you know his jujitsu and, and uh, against those guys. I think that his jujitsu was just a lot. A lot more superior, um, but I forgot about that Dalton Fox fight. Remember, he, he won that fight too. You finished Dalton, but it was he like kicked a him in the throat. throat. Yeah, throat kick. Yeah, he kicked him in the throat, and they called it a, uh, a no contest. I remember that too. That was and Dalton was acting like he uh, he couldn't breathe, and they were yeah. talking about breaking him in there. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, please don't fucking trade him. Um, yeah, that was that was something else. So Dalton Fox. There's another name. Uh, who, have yeah, I heard I him a long time. That was like his second comeback when he came back and called Dalton. It's a knockdown there, man. She dropped him. Oh, yeah. Now, gentlemen, uh, last little side topic here. I don't know if you guys have noticed it or not, but it, I thought a little uh, entertaining 
video that came out. Uh, the Korean Zombie has put out a video showcasing the best five, uh, or I guess five of the most common ways that profile. Whoa, wow! Uh, that, just, that was just a one interquitter. Uh, and uh, most common ways that fighters cheat the scales at weigh-ins. Uh, have you guys uh, have you guys seen that video by chance? Oh, we're looking it up right now. <laughs> it is. It's funny, man. And, uh, you know, there's the there's the fingers on the towel trick. There is uh, maybe your teammate putting his up, putting his finger on your butt and kind of like <laughs> lifting you, like kind of lifting you up while he's, you know, assisting you up there. Uh, any uh, I, I hope you guys get a chance to watch that. It's it's super funny. Yeah, there's the there's the elbows where you kind of like almost where you're almost like you know using your elbows to like lift yourself up on someone else. Uh, lots of uh, little tricks exposed by the Korean zombie. Uh, you guys, now Justin, you're uh, you're you're a guy that uh, you, you didn't really uh, you didn't really it didn't feel like come up in a time where we saw so much. Um, what's the word? Um, uh, attempts to manipulate the system. Now, Nick, you're you're a, you know you're a current fighter, so I'm sure you you see a little bit more of it. Would you say nowadays it seems like there's more uh, attempts to kind of you know uh, to at, at fuckery, if you will? I mean, yeah, um, I guess I feel like there was the, the there was the old school period where when where weight I don't know weight classes didn't really matter, you know. And then uh, it got more serious about it. You know, you had to really be on this weight and everything. And uh, at that point, I think uh, there was a lot of fuckery, you know, going on. And But now I think it's more, I don't know, everything's more professional now, it seems like. It's, it's what do you think is the most common, what, what's the most common uh, trick that, that people try to do? The fingers on the towel, like the, ta- finger, the fingers on the towel, would you say? Yeah, that's probably the most common one. But uh, since the bigger, bigger name guys like um, Daniel, Daniel Cormier, and all those guys, they got caught with it. That's um, it's like you're watching for it now. What's that? It's it's like people are watching for it now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Since the bigger name guys did it. Well, that looks like the uh, the end of this one here is Dustin Wall against the big knockout and finishes off the big night at the uh, 3FC 17. That's going to wrap us up here this evening as well. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed watching, rewatching some of these classics, seeing some of these guys that we haven't seen in so long uh, and some guys that we're still seeing nowadays uh, back back in the day, you know, uh, at, at our old stomping grounds at the Smoky Mountain Convention Center on the parkway up at Traffic Lot 7. Uh, that was, uh, those were the days. I, I appreciate you guys uh, sitting in with us and, and doing this again, uh, taking some time out of your uh, coronavirus quarantine to to uh, reminisce with us and uh man i guess next week we'll be on to uh ufc 249 justin man uh justin watson and i will will uh, reconvene we're going to break down every fight on that motherfucker uh with uh betting odds and DraftKings and all that shit there's some good DraftKings contests going on out there for this one so uh that's uh something i will probably spend uh, way too much time on over the next week of my uh my isolation here uh till till next week uh once again and thanks again to our, our guest host, Nick Gertz and Justin Fisher for joining us tonight uh, and taking some time out to reminisce on uh, the 3FC 17. Thanks to my co-host, 
Justin Watson. Uh, make sure you like and share the podcast. Get it out there. Let's keep this thing growing. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Valor Hour. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence. You know, as long as we're in a healthy environment, I think that's always been kind of my concern. But, you know, also the fact of, you know, it, it is a global pandemic, you know, and, and everything is going through. I mean, I, I think that, look, fighters want to fight. There, there's no doubt about that. You know, it just for me, it's I look at it and I always say this, Daniel, is is the reward of doing these fights for the UFC greater than the risk? I think the answer is no. And it's a hard thing for me to pound on the table and go after. I love mixed martial arts. I love live sports. And I want things to get back to normal. I want it so bad. But the reason why I don't think they should be running April 18th is because of the great unknown with the coronavirus. This is something where we are learning stuff on the fly. This is something that has shut down Every country on this planet other than Antarctica, and we haven't really received our text back from North Korea yet on how they're doing there. But this is like the great unknown. I mean, let, let, let's let's think about this. What did what did the UFC, Jason, what did the UFC do at UFC Brazil to make sure people didn't have the virus? What They, they just took the temperatures, right? Correct. Is yeah. that what they did? Correct. Yes. That that had a massive, massive hole in that what we have learned from this coronavirus is that this is spreading because people do not have symptoms. They don't have the fever, but they have the disease and they're giving it to each other. So the UFC's already ran an event, acted like they did all the safety precautions, and there was a clear hole in how it went down. So, so again... Given the unknown of this virus, how fast it has spread, the fact that the prime minister in Britain is in ICU right now, I just think it's unwise to run this card. But I'm looking forward to it. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.